You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. If I'm not back in 10 minutes, I want you to get in the driver's seat of this truck and I want you to drive till this truck runs out of gas. And when the police come and pick you up, you tell them that your father and his mule are dead. Tell them who your mother is. This is a rough place. On March 15th, I had the opportunity to speak at a Backcountry Hunters and Anglers storytelling event in Springfield, Missouri. This podcast is going to be the stories that I told at that event. The stories lasted about 45 minutes. I think that you're going to enjoy this podcast. You'll also be able to watch the actual live event on the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel. You'll be able to go to our channel and we're going to split the stories up in four different videos in the next 10 days or so that are going to come out and they'll be titled as different stories. So you'll actually be able to watch this on the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel. There's something really special about oral traditions where we get to tell stories. It's it's different than any other medium and it's obviously the oldest medium for a human to relay a story. So much information is inside of the spoken word and you're going to enjoy this so check it out. Also guys we want to let you know that we now have all of our podcasts, the Bear Hunting Magazine podcasts, on our website, bear-hunting.com. That's bear-hunting.com. So you can now go to our website and you'll see a description of all the podcasts. You'll see photographs from the podcast and you can actually listen to the podcasts from our website. While you're there, you might as well pick up one of our awesome custom Bear Hunting Magazine t-shirts. There we go. Oh, give this guy one. Yes. All right. Great. So, I'm from Arkansas. How many? How many people are from Arkansas? All right. Where are you guys from? Bentonville. Bentonville. Okay. All right. All right. Well, it's great to be here in Missouri. 
I am a, I am a seventh generation Arkansan. So it's, it's, it's cool to come to Missouri and hear you guys talking about like, I, I sense some like Missouri pride, you know, so that's good. Because I know we do have that, we do have some pride down in Arkansas too. Um, so tonight, what I want to do is I want to tell you four stories, four short stories that all revolve around basically the same piece of public land. Um, I'm going to time myself. This is my second Sprite of the night. Um, so uh, who knows what's going to happen here. Uh, but uh, before I tell you these stories about public land in Arkansas, let me tell you, we've got, we've got 2.2 million acres of national forest in Arkansas. And that doesn't even count all the WMAs and all the different other places that we can hunt. We have 2.2 million acres of national forest. We've got 11 wilderness areas in Arkansas. And uh, I grew up in a town, any direction that I could drive, within 10 minutes, I was in massive national forest. And that truly did impact my life in a major way. I mean, uh, Aldo Leopold said that wilderness and the areas that we live actually forge our civilization and culture. And it's true. Wilderness and the, and the geographic landscapes in which we live inform, inform our culture in a significant way. And what's awesome about being a hunter and being a connoisseur of wild places in 2019 is that the world is becoming increasingly urbanized and increasingly concretized and increasingly distant from the lifestyle that all of us represent. And I think it's our mission to represent that lifestyle with deep levels of integrity, honor, and passion. And to me, what I even have wanted to do since I was a kid was I saw, these, I saw this culture that I grew up in and I was powerfully impacted by these men that I deeply respected, that there were these mountain hunters that, that weren't trying to put Instagram posts up. They were hunting to put food on the table. They were hunting for, they were, they were hunting for horns too, but they were, they, they were just these people I respected. And I wanted my life, and part, part of what I do inside of media, I feel like, is bring dignity to that lifestyle. And I think that's really probably at the heart, I hope, of most of you guys, is to bring dig dignity to the lifestyle that we represent. So, now for the fun stuff. I'm gonna tell you four stories. Two of them are funny. I'm gonna need you to laugh, okay? <laughs> One of them is terrifying. One of them is an epic hunting story that we'll end with. So, the first, first all these stories come in different, so there's different chronological order, okay? So they happened in the same place, but they didn't have, so the, 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 the chronology of it is, uh, is going to be, we're going to skip around here. So the first one is 2014. In 2014 is when I started hunting off my own mules in backcountry in Arkansas. And I will tell you, geez, there's a lot of things I've got to talk about. I've got to talk to you about hunting ethics first. Okay, my dad taught me this and lived this his whole life. Okay, it's when another man shares his stuff with you where he hunts on public land you are therefore obligated for the rest of your life to never set foot there i hunt public land in arkansas and so i mean i know all you god-fearing missourians probably are going to be jealous but you can never go there now because i have told you 
Now, these guys from Arkansas, you know, you, you can hunt your lands just as you did before, okay? But, uh, so, y'all, y'all can stay up here. Sounds like y'all got lots of public land up here. But, you know, BHA people are really funny. It's like, we're like, public lands, public lands. We're like, hashtagging public lands. And as soon as somebody says, where do you hunt? You're like, man, I don't, I don't know where I hunt. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm the same way. I'm like, go enjoy your public lands, not mine. <laughs> it's true. So, four stories. They all came from the same place. First one was 2013, 2014, excuse me. We started, we started hunting with our own mules. I took my, at the time, 10-year-old son. His name is Bear, Bear Newcomb. Took Bear Newcomb, and we took our mule, packed it back into this wilderness, and we had, uh, it was the first time we'd used this mule in this context. And we, we hiked to the top of this mountain with a mule, tethered the mule to a tree. We went off hunting. We hunted for six hours. I marked on my, on my GPS where the mule was at. I'd come back at dark, and we timed our we timed our exit from where we hunted to get back to the mule just before dark. And then from the mule, we would then traverse down the mountain back to our, our camp where we were hunting, which was way off the road too. We get to where the mule was supposed to be, and the mule was not there. The mule was gone. The, the, the lead rope was still tied to the tree. And the lead rope was broken half, and, and, and I picked up the lead rope and looked at it, and it, it, actually had, it actually had been chewed by the mule. So this was news to me that a mule would chew a lead rope. So we're up on the side of the mountain. We're in a, we're in a wilderness area, a federal wilderness area, you know. And uh, I tell my son, Bear, I say, well, hopefully the mule went back down to our camp where we'd stayed the night before. So I pick up this like 50-pound saddle because I'd unsaddled the mule, all the saddleback. Pick up this 50-pound saddle, have all our hunting gear, and we walk off down the mountain. We get to the bo- we get to our camp, and no mule at the camp. We had parked our truck on a two-lane Arkansas highway. I envisioned so my truck and trailer was on this highway, and we came in from there. There's no trails or anything. We just went in from there. So I envision the mule being back at my truck like you know that's the next place maybe the mule has gone and then it's dark and it's night we want to hunt the next day we don't want to go back out to the truck but I envision the mule uh, on the side of the highway by my trailer with a broken lead rope and I envision someone calling the sheriff the sheriff running the tags on my trailer and then calling my wife who's right here this is Misty Newcomb I've got I've so much to have done. this is my wife Misty uh, also, this is my friend Brent Reeves. It's his birthday. Uh, yeah, this is Brent Reeves' birthday. Yeah. So, so I, I envision the sheriff running the tags on my truck and calling my wife and saying, your husband is dead. So I couldn't let that happen. There was no cell coverage or anything. And so we come off the mountain, me and Bear, come off the mountain. As it was, the closest civilization to where we were was a small, small county line bar, okay? And this bar, this was the closest civilization any direction. There's no reason for this bar to be there except for it was a county line separating a dry county. You guys know that kind of bar. I don't know that kind of bar. I I don't go to those places. Ironic that I'm even here. Uh, But uh, so the closest place was this bar. I go, so I say, Bear, we're going to have to go to this bar. 
I, I, I wanted to leave them my phone number so that when somebody was driving down the road, saw a mule with a broken lead rope, they'd probably stop at the next place and maybe say, hey, there's a mule out here on the road, you know. So I pull up to this bar. It's a Saturday night, county line bar. And uh, I pull up and I've got my 10-year-old son with me. And I turn to my son and I say, son, I'm about to go into this bar. If I'm not back in 10 minutes, I want you to get in the driver's seat of this truck and I want you to drive till this truck runs out of gas. And when the police come and pick you up, you tell them that your father and his mule are dead. Tell them who your mother is. This is a rough place. This is a rough bar. Saturday night. Saturday night. I'm decked out in full first light. First light fusion camo. Okay. This is not standard real tree stuff. Like this is like unaccepted in most places in Arkansas. I've got my like skinny suspenders on, got my dark frame glasses, got my five panel hat on. I'm really not a hipster at all. I'm really just a redneck. But in their mind, they might have perceived it that way. So I walk into the bar. And if it had been like a spaghetti western, it would have been like, you know, the girl at the piano playing and like the bad guy from out of town that no one knows walks through the swinging doors. And like everybody's just like, like it stops. So that's exactly what happened. I walk into the bar and there's like, it's, a, it's small. I mean, it's like, like a 30 by 30 room, you know? And uh, everybody turns and looks at me. And, uh, and I've also just come off the mountain carrying all this pack, so I'm sweaty and wet. I come to the bar, music's loud. Everybody's looking at me. I wave to the bartender and I say, my name's Clay Newcomb and I lost my mule on the mountain and I want to leave my phone number here with you in case somebody drives by so they can, you know, call me. And, and so I'm yelling because the music's loud, okay? And everybody in the bar looks down at me. The bartender can't hear me. He said, what? And so I yell it again. My name's Clay Newcomb and I lost my mule on the mountain. And by this time, everybody in the bar is really intent on what I'm, you know, they're, they're keyed in on what I'm doing. So I hear somebody from down here say, Has you, have you ever been up there before with that mule? And I go, no, it's our first time with the mule. Now, I knew the mountain very well. And he, in, in the bar, erupts into laughter. <laughs> You'll never get that mule back. That's what they said. So, I, and I, I agreed with them. Uh, I didn't know. Then, I'm sitting at the bar, or not sitting, I'm just standing there, and a, and a, a man stands up from down at the end of the bar. And you could tell he, he is glassy-eyed, a little wobbly. And he said, what's your name? And I turn to him and I say, Clay Newcomb. And he says, is your mother Judy Newcomb? <laughs> and I, I stood there and I wondered why this man knew my mother's name. And I got to tell you a little backstory about my mother. My mother, Juju, as we call her, she's the most God-fearing, just a woman of valor, woman of character, woman of integrity, built the foundations of my life. And as this man called out her name, which was odd to me, my life stood before me like a house of cards. And I thought, what is this man going to say? Why does he know my mother? Lots of questions ran through my mind. I envisioned many words that he might say, you know. I won't say what I thought he might say. And I say, I say, yeah, Judy Newcomb is my mother. I didn't know if I was about to get in a fist fight. 
I mean, like, it was hard to say what was about to happen. And in kind of a, kind of a wobble, kind of like this, he goes, she's my teacher. That's exactly what he said. He said, she's my teacher. He didn't say, she was my teacher. He said, she's my teacher. And my mother has been a school teacher at the public schools down in that part of Arkansas for like 40 years. And this man had been taught by my mother when he was a first grader. And he was just like enamored with, with Miss Newcomb. And he was just like so tickled to meet her son in a bar on a Saturday night. So... I, we, we, I left him my number. I walked back out. Bear is fine. He's in the truck. This all took place in under 10 minutes, so he was still there. And uh, we walk out of there, and we come back the next day, and I took my, do- my other daughter with me, and we actually went up there, and the mule was at our camp. We saved our mule. End of story. Okay, that's story one. Went to a bar, and uh, they knew my mother, my sweet mother. Okay, second story, exact same ridge and finger of the exact same mountain. The year was 2008. It was the first time that my father and I had, uh, we, we'd actually had a guy pack us in with horses. It was before I had my own stock. And uh, we'd had a guy pack us back into this wilderness on horses. The very first day of our hunt, uh, my dad was, we were bow hunting. And my dad walked out from our camp. We had just separated. I mean, we got there, we set up camp. I went one way, he went another. And he was carrying his compound bow. He went and he, he was not 300 yards from our camp. He set his bow down on the ground to um, go check a scrape. He walks over to a scrape, big wide open woods. Wasn't like he was in a thicket. Wide open woods, sets his bow down. And when he turns back around, there's a bear sniffing his bow. Bear sniffing his boat. To this day, he, he swears that it crawled out of the ground. And uh, he thinks the, butt, the bear is going to eat the strings off, you know, break the strings of the bow. And so he's, get out of here, bear. You know, he's kind of freaked out a little bit. The bear runs off like 20 yards and stands there. He pick, runs over and grabs his bow and in classic Newcomb fashion, draws his bow, shoots the bear, kills the bear dead. Yeah. So we've got a bear on day one. When I come back, dad's like, kill the bear. And uh, and in Arkansas, we can hunt bear. And that's a whole other story that I can tell you about the reintroduction of Arkansas black bear. But he killed a bear. And so dad was like on this rant. So, but on this camp, we still had five or six days of hunting left. And dad was all worked up about a bear getting in our camp while we were gone hunting. Okay. So all week, I mean, we were like tying our, our food up in trees and doing all this stuff. So... It's the fifth day of the hunt. We've seen no more sign of bear. And uh, fifth day of the hunt, it's the middle of the night. And it's one of these nights where you can just hear everything. Some, I, I coon hunt a lot. And there's some nights that are just so dead still, like you could hear a dog like a mile away. And in other nights, you just can't. This was a night where you could just hear everything. We had two tents set up. Dad was in one tent. I was in another tent. Er, sometime early in the morning, a couple hours before daylight, I hear I'm awoken by what, what sounds like large footsteps, you know, but they're not continuous. I mean, anybody that's hunted much knows that big game, the way you can tell it's different from a big game animal and a squirrel is that a big game animal just keeps walking. I mean, a squirrel will make three hops and he'll sound like a squirrel. A big game animal 
you know, usually after about the fifth or sixth step, you're like, that is something that's not a squirrel. I knew it wasn't a squirrel's night. But I hear these steps, and they're loud, they're familiar, and, and they're way up on the mountain. And, I, you know, you'd hear like three steps, and then you'd, you'd be like, well, I guess it's nothing. And you'd start to fall asleep, and then you'd hear them again. And they were coming, they were moving our direction just ever so slowly. And then the footsteps began to be accompanied by a noise that at the time I was not familiar with. And it sounded just like this. It was like... And they'd wait. It kind of sounded like, uh, have you seen Crocodile Dundee when he takes that... That, that boomerang and puts it on a rope and he's like that, that's probably more what it sounded like I thought it was a bird at the time I was like that is a crazy bird I don't know why that bird is here but I've never heard it before the footsteps continue the noise continues and finally my dad he, he calls me Clay Baby he said Clay Baby this is like you know we're supposed to be like dead asleep he goes Clay Baby do you hear that you know, this us, I'm laying on my back in the tent. He's in the tent over there. And I go, yeah. I said, I've been listening to it for the last hour. And he goes, it was like when he confirmed that he had heard it. And when, when I confirmed to him that I had heard it, it was like a light switch went off in our heads. And dad goes, dad said it. He said it just like this. He said, Clay, baby, we're being stalked. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say it. He didn't say it like, we're being stalked, son. He said it like a Pentecostal preacher. He was like, we're being stalked. And he, I mean, immediately a massive rush of activity just happens in all of our tents. Like I'm scrambling for a flashlight and dad has, well, the next scene, we get out of the tent about the same time. And I see my father in his whitey tighties, a white t-shirt, and he has a 357 stainless steel Smith and Wesson, five and a half inch barrel, Magnum in his hand. And I'm the light man, and I shine the light up into the woods. And what do we see but the fiery, devilish eyes of a Arkansas black bear. And this bear, if you've ever shined your lights on a bear at night, you can see nothing except eyes. That's all you see is eyes. And this bear is like just out of our camp. And he's been stalking us, you know. And my dad is all worked up. And he, and he, I see him, I mean, he's taking a bead, buddy. And he's like, I'm going to kill that sucker. I mean, he was as mad as the bear. And, it, and he is waving this gun. And I, even at a, the young, young man I was then, I, and I knew that my father had so much integrity that if he killed this bear, that we would spend the next two days, first of all, getting the bear off the mountain and then going to the game and fish and reporting ourselves, and they would put us in separate rooms, and they would say, what happened? And Dad would say, that bear was trying to kill us. And then I could not tell a lie, and I would be like, man, it was probably just curious. <laughs> and, so, and so I begin a, a I, I feel like now looking back, you know, sometimes there's those moments in your life like, 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 like he talked about when you just realize like you're on a whole nother level. I was like an FBI hostage negotiator. And I, I think I was fully clothed. I don't really remember. But, and I was just like, Dad, don't do it. Don't do it. Put the gun down, Dad. Put the gun down. And I'm like, I'm, I don't want to touch him. You know what I mean? You never touch somebody 
that's in a state like this. But I was, I was, I feel like I was crouched with a hand out, like ready to swat the gun up. It like swung my way, and I'm just like, Dad, don't do it. It's not worth it, man. And uh, and he's he's just he's just wanting to squeeze that trigger. And finally, after what seemed like an hour standoff, I see the gun go down, and I see him take a few steps back. And what does the bear do? The bear just disappears into the Arkansas night, and we go back to sleep. So that's the story on the same piece of public ground that we lost our mule. The night I had to talk my dad down and almost kill the bear. Okay, so that's that story. Okay, third story. We've got to keep moving here. I know. So third story. This is a terrifying story. Those are the two funny stories. Okay, this is a terrifying story. So on this same mountain, same mountain, same place, public lands have influenced my life in massive ways. We bear hunted just this last year on top of this said mountain. There was a piece of private ground that was landlocked by national forest on four sides. No roads to it, uh, nothing. No, the only way to get to it was by foes to it. No way to get to it, but we had access to bait bears on it. So the only way to get bait back into this place, you couldn't take a four-wheeler, couldn't use a hand glider. If it's news to me, you can't use hand gliders in wilderness areas. It actually says that on the signs. Uh, did anybody know that? Yeah, yeah. Put that on Instagram. Yeah, you can't use hand gliders in the wilderness areas. Um, so we, we decided that this was going to be an, uh, an epic place to hunt bear. And so I decided I was going to use my mules to pack in bear bait back on this mountain. It was an all-day event. To bait that site one time took me a full, hard day of driving two and a half hours, loading the mules up, loading the bait up. And we walked up the mountain. We led the mules up the mountain, hour from the bottom of the mountain up to the top, off, back down, load the mules, big deal. My daughter River is tougher. I want to tell you this. She's 15 years old, and she is tougher probably than every man in here except for Brent Reeves. And... Uh, Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. You know I mean, guy saying his daughter's tough. River is really a hunter. She's not. She's not like the girl that I just recruit because it's cute to have your daughter hunt. Like River Newcomb is a hunter, and uh, I wanted to her to kill a bear on top of this mountain. And uh, so I was like, if you're going to kill a bear, you're going to do the work with me. And so we're going to we're going to start baiting these bears. We take the mules up the top of the mountain. Remember, this is my terrifying story. We bait the bears. Um, that day, yeah, that was the first day. Was that the first day we went up there? Okay, the second time we went up there, there was another thing that happened. We're come, so we, we bait bears. We set up our, our cameras and everything. Again, we're on private land. We're coming off the mountain now on public land, and I told River that she could ride my mule named Izzy. Uh, and I had trained Izzy, and she's a young mule, but she's really good, always been really safe with me. Um, and I put River on Izzy. And I said, why don't you ride down? Because we had one riding saddle and one saw buck, like pack saddle. And so I couldn't ride. Only one person could ride. I let River ride. Why don't you ride Izzy down the mountain? So we take off down the mountain. And Izzy is kind of just hot to trot, literally, no pun intended. And she, she starts kind of trotting fast. And I see River kind of trying to get her to stop. And Izzy will stop and throw up her head. And I mean, just kind of typical, like, young mule stuff. I don't think much about it. We keep going down the mountain, going down the mountain. And, I mean, this, this mountain in many places, I mean, is, like, steep like a cow's face. It's just a rock pile. I mean, it's not, it's not like a rolling hill. This is like a rock pile. 
Anyway, at, at, at some point, Mule, Izzy and the River and Izzy are like probably 10 feet in front of me. And I see River, I see the mule start to trot. And, and as she's trotting, there's a limb about that big around that looks like it's going to hit River just like right in the chest. And the mule is now running. And I see River lean off the mule like this to try to not get clotheslined by the, by, the, by, the, by the limb. And as she does this, you know, the cue for that animal to move is, is to squeeze, squeeze underneath it. Not to kick really, but just to squeeze River squeezes so she hangs on, and the mule, that's a cue for the mule to go. And so the mule just goes. I mean, just like, turns into just like a straight gallop going down. I mean, it looked like man from Snowy River stuff, you know. And they're going downhill, and River is now off the side of the mule, and she's lost the reins. And all I hear is my daughter, who's very tough, also very sweet, and my daughter. I hear her screaming in terror. And I see her totally out of control, just blowing down the mountain on this mule, as out of control like a train wreck. I drop the lead rope on my mule and just run after her just as fast as I can run. And they keep going until I can't see them, and they're totally out of sight. And I'm just running, 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 river, river, river. You know, I'm trying to tell her what to do. And anyway, I, I break over kind of this, just the, my line of sight, and I see the mule standing down there turning back, looking at me with no river on her. And I come over the top and I see my daughter sprawled out with her feet going up the mountain, her head down the mountain. And she's, she's just laid out. And I, this is my terrifying story. I really thought she could have been dead, truly did. And in that moment, I also realized it was one of the stupidest things I'd done as a, as a father. My father took a lot of risks with us boys that paid off because we all lived. And I think those risks, those risks helped make us into the men that we are. But there were calculated risks. And, and this was just a mistake. I shouldn't have led her on that young mule going down the mountain. Going up would have been a different story. But I run to her and I, I jump on the ground beside her and she's conscious. And I just begin to feel all over her body, you know, just like, just like touching her. And I just think if she's busted or hurt, there will be a place where she's, you know, where she shows pain. And I feel all over her body, feel, and finally reach back around her neck. And that's really where I'm worried the most, you know. Reach back to her neck, and, uh, and she seems to be okay. I run my hand back around the back of her head, and I pull my hand out, and my hand is bloody, just covered in blood. And, uh, and basically, she busted her skull. She didn't bust her skull. She busted, she had how many stitches in her head? 14 stitches. You could see her skull in the cut that was on the top of her head. And had a concussion. No broken bones, no broken neck. And, we, you know, no cell coverage back where we were at. And, uh, and so we immediately, I'll tell you exactly what I did. Is I prayed. I thank God that she was still alive. And... Uh, and we gathered ourselves up, and she hiked off the mountain. And uh, it, was a, it was a pivotal moment in her life, though, because it, it was, I always knew, and you know, I won't go into the details of River's development process as a human, but she, in some ways, is too fearless, you know? And so, I, I, as this event played out before me, I, I had been thinking that at some point in her life, she's going to really be scared of something. Because up until this point, she hadn't been. And uh, I think this thing, 
uh, this event did really put the fear of God in her. And uh, it ended up being a moment that neither one of us will ever forget. We hiked off the mountain and went to the ER and, you know, spent the whole day and it was a big deal and we're still paying for it. Um, but it was a significant moment. And, and here, here's what I think, though, is that, that that day there were probably a lot of 15-year-old girls, like, playing on their phones or watching TV or I don't know what they were doing. But my daughter and I were on public land in a wild place in Arkansas having real-life experiences that had some real, some real, uh, real potential consequences. Later, the sad, sad part of that story is later River went back in there and hunted. Ten days later, she was on the mountain hunting. And, uh, and we let a giant uh, color phase Arkansas black bear get away from us. That's another story. So that's my third terrifying story. Are you, do y'all have time for one more? Do you have time for one more? Okay. So the fourth story goes back to 2013. Same exact mountain. Same exact finger. The, the bear baiting actually took place like three miles away, but on the same mountain. Um, this story takes place on the same finger that we lost the mule, the same finger that my dad, you know, I had to talk him down from the bear. Um, it was uh, 2013, and I had just acquired Bear Hunting Magazine. So what I do for a living is I publish Bear Hunting Magazine. Bear Hunting Magazine has been in print for 20 years. I've had the business for the last six years, okay? Um, it was a major thing for me to acquire this business. It was not without massive risk. It was not, I mean, it was like jumping into a, you know, jumping into a fire just to see if you can survive it, you know, and, and if it worked, then you're in good shape. It was, I acquired the magazine in July of 2013. I felt like that, I got into it and I realized that I, I really didn't have enough money to do, small business takes a lot of money, even if you're passionate about something. I mean, it was like, I, I calculated I needed this much to get this thing running. It took more. I was, I was frustrated. I didn't know if it was going to work. And I actually felt like, what it felt like to me was that I'd, I had taken the hand off and I was just about to fumble the ball. I had, so that was what was going on inside of me as a, as a business owner, which is a big part of my life. Prior to this, I had made a goal that I wanted to kill a black bear in the national forest without bait. I love hunting over bait and always will. But to me, like the sheep hunt of the South is to kill a bear in national forests, just, just kill one, just one-on-one, -on -one, hunting them like deer. And so I'd made that my goal. And I can tell you there are very few people in Arkansas that consistently do that. Um, and I, I, I had only met just, I mean, like one or two guys. And to this day, there's very few that consistently do that. It's just a difficult hunt. You have to be in a different state of mind. We are validated Sometimes, I think sometimes when game populations are so strong like they are right now in North America that it actually produces some softness inside of us because we're validated by constantly seeing game every time we go and hunt. And if you're going to hunt black bears in the National Forest in Arkansas, you cannot be validated by game sightings. I mean, you hunt years and not see a bear, and that's true. Um, and I had actually hunted a couple of years and had not even seen a bear in some of the best bear country in Arkansas. Their densities are just less than whitetail. High whitetail densities, 45, 60 deer per square acre, or per square mile, excuse me. A high bear population in Arkansas is probably around one bear per square mile. So it's just a low density animal. So I'd set out to kill a bear on National Forest. I'd been logging every time that I hunted. And, uh, and up until that point, I had walked 32 miles in National Forest in Arkansas. It was before I was using mules. And uh, 
it was the, the last day of the Arkansas season, which the Arkansas season ran until November 30th. It was the last day of the Arkansas season, and it was like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I had, I had decided that I was going to give one last hoorah, an all-day hunt in National Forest, hunting for bear. I, I decided to go back to this particular spot, which at the time I hadn't been to in several years. Now, I had this, you know, long-standing history of hunting here, but it had actually been a couple of years since I'd been up in this particular spot. But that, the night before, I was just like, man, I'm going to go back up there. So that morning, I started off with the truck at daylight, and I like to do what I just call slip hunt, which is just get the wind right and just move. I mean, when you're hunting bear, you just, you just got to cover a ton of ground until you find one. Then once you find one, then you hunt him like a deer, basically. And so I had walked 32 miles cumulatively over the course of the last, say, two weeks and had not seen, well, I had seen one, I saw a sow and a cub like three days before at a different spot, which was a massive win. I get out of the truck, cross the creek, starts to get daylight, walk up the hill, I start seeing white oak acorns. Start seeing a lot of white oak acorns, which is not something that I had seen before on my, in, in all my journeying. And so I was like, this is a good sign. I immediately uh, bumped a flock of gobblers. I see, you know, I hear, look up, and there's turkeys. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, turkeys. I see these turkeys go up the ridge. I kind of move in. I'm going the direction they're going, so I kind of go up by them, and I bump a deer. I bump a fawn and a doe, and they run right across in front of me. I'm like, man, this is pretty good. There's some game on this finger. And that's another key that I found is in the, in the late winter, especially in the big hardwoods of Arkansas, the game is pretty concentrated where there's food source. And so I was like, man, deer and turkey, that's cool. I'm after a bear. I didn't take another step after seeing that deer run out across from me. And man, you just don't see deer in the big woods of the Washtenaw National Forest that much. Uh, you just don't see them that much. So I, I hadn't walked very far and I saw a big fresh pile of bear scat I mean fresh and I was like bam there is a bear on this ridge there's game on this ridge and I didn't plan to go back to the truck until dark so I just said no I was gonna walk though plan to walk all day so I dressed real light it was cold November 30th but I dressed light didn't plan to hunt didn't plan to sit still so I walk on well, I knew there was a little saddle right up above where the spare scat was, and I, it's the final day of the season. I couldn't come back tomorrow. And I just said, man, I'm going to sit in that saddle all day long. Just going to sit there. And so I get up in this saddle, and I sit there, and the wind is swirling. The wind is hitting me in every direction. And I'm thinking, man, that bear has probably already smelled me, and he's probably already in the other county. Um, and I sit there for two hours, and I just am get bone chilling cold because I didn't dress for sitting. And uh, about the time I got so cold I couldn't stand it, the wind shifted solid from the west. And I just, I mean, as a, when you're hunting like that, you're just constantly in tune with the wind, constantly. And I, I noticed for about 15 minutes the wind was hitting me right in the side of the face. And so I thought, man, I'm just going to get up and just walk into the wind right off the side of this ridge and just basically just see what I can see. I was, it was firearm season, okay, but I was actually carrying a muzzleloader. At the time, I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a deer rifle. We grew up bow hunting and, and little muzzleload hunting, so I had a muzzleloader. And uh, 
I walk off the side of this ridge and I get into a cluster of what in the Washtals they call, um, they call them um, uh, rock glaciers is what it is. It's remnants of when the Washtal Mountains, and I'm, I'm down in the Washtals, it's remnants of when the Washtal Mountains were as big as the Rockies and had huge rock slides that would come down from like avalanche chutes. And you still see these vast, you'll, you'll be in like big timber, and then you'll walk into like a, like a field, like a two-acre field, and nothing but boulders as big as your car. It's pretty amazing. You don't sit in the, wash to, uh, the, the Ozarks. Those Ozarks are limestone and totally different than the Washtals. You'll see that. I walked into this, this, this uh, rock glacier just kind of to see what it looked like. And I was standing on top of a rock, and I looked off down through the woods. The woods were no leaves on the trees, and I see what I think is the head of a bear. You, hunters know what I'm talking about. You just see a flash of movement, and uh, you're just kind of like, what was that? I see what looked like two big ears stand up like this and then go back down. And I was like, man, that is a bear. And I turn and put the scope over where I saw this like dark blob, and I zoom the scope in, and man, there is a bear laying on a rock about 60 yards from me. And as soon as I get the scope on him, I see him roll over. He's laying on his side, and I see him roll over. I see his feet go up in there like this and turn over. Wind still hit me right in the face. It's too far for a shot. There's twigs and limbs and everything. So I start to just walk towards this bear, and I'm in a boulder field. There's some trees growing up in this one. This one wasn't a real big one. And I just start taking steps, walking, like walking on rocks. I mean, just in the wide open, pure sight. I mean, just clear sight of this bear. But he's asleep, uh, or he's, at least he's laying down. And uh, every time I take a step, I put the scope up and like, you know, can I, do I have a shot? Do I have a shot? Can I see the vitals of this animal? Can I tell what it is? And anyway, I just keep creeping, keep creeping, keep creeping. Every time I'm thinking, man, I don't want to get any closer. Because all this bear would have to do is just throw his head up and look and see me. And he'd be gone and be a running shot or bad deal. So I just keep creeping, 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 creeping. And every time I can't get a shot, finally I'm within 20 yards of this bear. The wind is hitting me straight in the face. And, I mean, there's not a twig between us now. I mean, he's like, you know, from here to a little further than the cooler there. And, uh, and I just sit down. And, uh, and I can see this, the top of this bear's head. He's laying on a big flat rock. And he's got his head laid over the top of that rock. Are y'all okay with an epic hunting story that has a kill in it? Are we okay with that? Yeah. Okay. This bear was laying, and he had his, he had his head laid over this rock. And I, now I'm 20 yards from this bear, and I believe that it is a 200-pound black bear. That, that is what I knew that this was, a 200-pound black-colored bear. I don't know if y'all know this, but we have color, color-faced bears in Arkansas. So about, they say upwards of 20% of our bears are not black, but they're cinnamon colored and can even be lighter than that, chocolate colored. And uh, I perceived this to be a 200 pound black bear and I did not care what it was. I was after the sheep of the Washtaw Mountains, which was a spot and stalk black bear. And I didn't care really how big it was, it was just a legal animal. And so I crouched down and I'm waiting and I'm like, should I whistle at this bear? And this is where most hunters mess up stuff is that, you know, you, you, either, you either take a chance and move too quick or you're not patient enough, and we all make mistakes. But So I didn't know if I should whistle at this bear and get him to stand up. 
or if I should just wait for him to stand up on his own or what I should do. But I knew the wind wasn't going to stay steady forever, but it had stayed steady this entire time. Hit me right in the face. Anyway, I finally look at this bear's head and I'm like, man, I can drive tax with this muzzleloader. And basically, I just put the crosshairs right on top of his head, squeezed the trigger, and the bear never flinched. I walked over to the bear, so I shot the bear. Okay, are we cool with that? Yeah, okay, yeah. Bear, bear down. Shot the bear. Shot the bear. Walked up to the bear, and I believe it's a 200-pound black bear. I get up to it, and it is a, what we estimated to be a 500-pound color phase Arkansas male black bear. It was a giant. It was, it was an absolute giant. I'd killed a bear in Canada a month before that weighed 435 pounds on a scale. And when I walked up to that bear, my initial response was, that bear weighs 100 more pounds than the bear I killed last month that I weighed. And I mean, it was a giant. It was a giant. And I, I was absolutely, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And the fact that it was color phase, the spectacular animal, we ended up having a tooth-aged, and it was an eight-year-old bear, which that's what we want to take out as older, mature males. That's what we're after. And it was, it was incredible. We, we, I went off down the mountain, got my dad and five or six guys. We couldn't drive to the bear. We quartered it up, and we hauled him off the mountain. And uh, here's, here's the whole point of this story, is that when I walked up to that bear, and remember that I was like in turmoil, young man who had just acquired a business and I, I had no backup plan. I mean, it's not like I had, I mean, I really didn't. We put everything we had into this. There was no plan B. There was no one to bail us out. There was no trust fund from daddy. Uh, we, this was what we put all our eggs in and I, was, I felt like it was about to fumble. When I walked up to that bear, I was not at the time, uh, it, it, well, let me preface it by saying I'm, I'm a deep man of faith. I believe that God is very active inside of our lives and wants to be. And when I walked up to that bear, I just, the, the deepest sensation of knowing that I've ever had in my life, I, I said out loud, I said, God is going to help me. That's what I said. And I knew that that, it's like it encompassed like my whole life. It's like I saw my family, my business, because it's like I didn't deserve this. I hadn't, this wasn't a result of, a calculated plan, even though I'd put in work, I had worked really hard, but I mean, this was supposed to be a 200 pound black bear and it was a 500 plus pound color phase bear. And just the significance of it was very real. And from that moment on, I went back into my business and I'm literally, Bear Hunting Magazine has been on an upward trajectory. We're not, we're not, we're not Jay Curvin. We've just been on an upward trajectory of influence and, and, and God has helped us. That happened to me on public land. All those stories happened in the same place. And public land, public land is, is more, than, more than just valuable to me. It, it truly has shaped my life. And so that's why you know, I'm, I'm a part of this organization and uh, believe that it's significant. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for laughing at my jokes. Yeah, I guess that's all I got. Thanks a lot, Zach.